Okay, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. So it's just Thomas and myself tonight. Joey unfortunately had to work, but that's the nature of life sometimes. Tom, how are we? Yeah, good, thanks. Very keen to get some footy back on the screens. Obviously, we can't go to the games just yet. You know, maybe not too far away, according to Peter Volandis, but yeah, very keen to, to watch the game tomorrow night. Broncos versus Eagles. Can't wait. Yeah, I know it's been a while, but yes, we finally have it back tomorrow after after at one point it looked like we may not have had any fo- any footy at all in the year, but it's back. Everyone's excited, so that's always a bonus, and there's certainly quite a good clash to start us off. But two teams are looking pretty good so far this season in terms of their results, so it's a good way to start the season. So we'll get stuck into the final four season previews. Obviously, we've over the last three weeks, we've done the previous 12 teams, so we might start with the West Tigers. Obviously, they've got quite a quite a stern and defensive-minded coach in Michael Maguire. You know, obviously, he's certainly had some success in the past with South and has been moulding this Tigers team into one that he wants. They've got the Leilua brothers. They've got Adam Dewey, who's obviously going to play a fullback this this uh, this week for the Tigers. They can be quite an inconsistent side. Obviously, we know that we know that you're a Tigers man yourself, Tom. What it, realistically, what are your expectations for their their season this year? Oh, come on, as a Tigers fan, we all know we're destined for ninth. <laughs> but no, uh, I think that uh, we all know what the Tigers are going to throw up this year. Um, you know, there's going to be, uh, probably unlike in seasons past, there's going to be plenty of points. That left edge of David Nofaluma, Joey Weiwua, and Luciano Weiwua uh, is going to be very potent in attack. But at the same time, we're going to lick a ton of points down that same edge. Obviously, they started 1-1, one one, but we're pretty lucky to escape that game against the Dragons in Wollongong. Um, Tyson Purcell made a number of breaks there, and they pretty much blew the game by some really wayward passes at the end. I think they'll be much improved, the Tigers. I don't think what we saw against Newcastle is probably a true indication of where they're at. Uh, they'll get Brooks and Embi back, which will really help to direct attack. I think if Harry Grant can be the guy that everyone reckons he will be at hooker this year, he could be a fantastic addition to the squad. I think Alex Twile is probably my guy to watch. We saw him really improve his game last year, and in the first few weeks, he was really outstanding. He's got the starting lock role this week. Usually plays in the front row, but moving <clears throat> moving to lock, I think, will really help his game. Uh, with the bench that Maguire's named, I think he'll be playing 60 to 65 minutes. And I think that Maguire will really call on him to uh, the the real stable forward in the pack which will allow guys like Luciano Weiwua or Luke Garner to really play an attacking role and not to not, not worry too much about their consistency. No way, I mean, he's looked the good, hasn't he, Alex Twelve, Obviously, his number of minutes has picked up in the first two rounds this season and even towards the back end of 2019, he looked pretty good. Probably the guy at the Tigers in the forward pack that, I guess, as an opposition fan that is, is enjoy, enjoyable to watch is probably Thomas McKayley. He's not in that sort of, I guess, Fanua Blake or Junior Paulo type weight per se, but he carries himself as if he is. He just, just runs the ball up hard. He, you know, makes those little... Those little dents, those little inroads that you want that you want at least one of your props to make to get, get yourself over the advantage line. And obviously, as we know in rugby league now, forward momentum is, is is such a crucial thing. So the Tigers do have quite a good combination there in terms of your sort of your enforcer prop and then your more I guess steady prop in McKaylee, Twal, obviously Packer, Musgrove, all those guys down the track. They're certainly all very all complement each other very well. So I think it's a good balance to having the forward pack. Yeah, I'm keen to see how Adam Dewey goes at fullback as well. Obviously coming across from South, I think that he'll really add. Uh, ball playing role into the fullback, whereas I think in the past we've had Corey Thompson there, and don't get me wrong, well caught Corey Thompson, what he's brought to the club, but he's mainly a running fullback, and I think that that ball playing role will really benefit guys out the back like Yule Willer and Nofa Wimmer, who with early ball can be really dangerous. Do you know much about Alex Seyfarth? And I have to admit, the you know the majority of guys sort of you know you keep tabs on as as much as you can, but he's probably one guy I haven't heard a lot about. For those that I guess even Tigers fans that haven't heard a lot about him, do you know apart from being a back roller? Do you know much about him and what, what we can expect from him, presuming he sees any sort of decent amount of minutes? Yeah, not really. haven't really heard too much. Um, obviously, he's a local junior, part of the club's Jersey Flag squads in the last few years. Um, he was the Jersey Flag Player of the Year, I think, in 2018. Um, and then he was also um, a New South Wales representative that same year in the under-18. So, look, he's got plenty of big wraps on him. Great opportunity to put his name up for a uh, starting role moving forward as well. 
obviously next year with Stefano Utukimanu I'm coming across from, from your boys. So, yeah, I'm really keen to see how he goes. Yeah, well, I said, as, as you know, the Tigers certainly have at least a half-decent roster across the park that, that will score them, some, score them some points. Obviously, you need to attack and defend, but I guess Tigers fans will be hoping that ninth is not where they finish again. Um, and then, you know, pushing for probably, at best, probably anywhere from fifth to eighth is probably where they sit at the moment. But they've got the quality to do it. They obviously just need to get that consistency and, and score those points, essentially, that they've, they've probably lacked in the past. Yeah, early wins will be the key as well. The draw really becomes tough in the second half of the season. I think they end with almost last year's top four. So I think if they can get some early wins on the board, could be on the way for a good season. Time will tell. Like, they certainly have a good coach in Maguire who will make them work hard, but obviously it pays dividends, as we saw with South when they won the Premiership. Uh, so we'll move on to the Sydney Roosters. And obviously, look, it's probably not the start to the season that many people were anticipating for the Roosters, seeing as they didn't have a great deal of roster turnover. I mean, they, they've still got talent galore. We look at James Tedesco, Joseph Manu, Luke Keary, Boyd Cordner, probably top three, if not the best place in their respective positions in the game at the moment. Obviously, we're going to see Kyle Flanagan line up alongside Luke Keary. Were the opening two games just a, a non-sequitur, or, or is it, or is this the year that the Roosters possibly slide? Not all the way down, but maybe not not finish first and, and not sort of be that perennial all-star team that, that we've been accustomed to seeing the last few seasons? Oh, yeah, I think if you take Cooper Cronk out of any team, you're going to see some regression in the performances. But look, I think I wouldn't be too concerned if I was a Roosters supporter. Yeah, we talk about 0-2, but if Luke Keary just dives over at Leichhardt there and doesn't try and run around to the post, where he's eventually stripped by Tom Trebojevic, they'd probably win that game against Manly. So I wouldn't be too concerned. I think what will really be important is a guy like Joey Manu. Obviously, he'll attract a lot more attention this year without Luttrell on the other side, but he really needs to step up. And I think he has a great opportunity to step up as the star centre on that team now. Obviously, he's played for the Kiwis, um, and now he's his chance to really make it as possibly a centre-of-the-year contender. I think his partnership with Daniel Tupo could be really important this year, and I'd re- I'm really keen to see how they go uh, under the new rules whereby you can't tackle an attacking player in the air. You know, that would have to be one of the tallest centre-wing pairings in the league. So it could be a, something to watch down the track. Well, that's just it. Yeah, I mean, there's a guy like Daniel Tupo, he'll he'll excel if they're consistent with that rule, especially. I mean, yeah, look, it's, it's the Roosters and they're coached by Trent Robinson, who, as we all know, they've won two in a row. So it's not like they're going to go anywhere. But the, you probably want to see some improvement from them overall and, and hope that they can rejig their attack a little bit to, to try and get those combinations now that Flanagan is there and not Kronk to you know make it easier for Flanagan to adjust to the system and mould himself into the play that they need to be. So yeah, you're probably looking at a situation where Kiri for a while needs to sort of have that, that leading role, even though it's probably not something he's used to as a 5'8 traditionally, but he's certainly going to have to go on the front foot more and, and be the one to push Flanagan rather than being the other way around. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so probably if I'm going to pick one guy from the Roosters that has looked the goods, it's probably Satili Tupo Niua. He's, he's again he's back row, but you know mo- most of those those back row forwards now can easily slot in at you know lock and prop as well. And yeah, he's, he's just one of those hard runners that is going to give you 100% and and doesn't have to be a household name, but they just they know their role, they do their bit, they play 30 minutes a game, but that's all that they need to to cover everyone else. But it will be interesting to see how the Roosters sort of jig their forward pack around. Obviously, that they, they do have a couple of omissions to start round three in uh, Orbison and Takayaho, but, you know, it is what it is. So it'll be interesting just to see how, how much of a role these young guys are going to play whilst those two are out. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, as you said, guys like Tupanua, Nat Butcher, Lindsay Collins, and even to an extent, uh, Angus Crichton as well. Um, super important to just give them that go forward, which then allows guys like Luke Keary and yeah, Daniel Tupo and James Desco to really build on that momentum and build the attack. And I think that's what they've, they've built their game on the last few years and it's been so successful for them. Yes, yeah, certainly. You don't, you don't change a winning formula, that's for sure. So it'd be surprising if the Roosters sort of falter and, and not finish in the top four as, as we become so accustomed to. So we'll move on again to the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Now, 
you know, Dragons fans are certainly a very vocal bunch. They're not quite a lot of them aren't fans of Paul Mary McGregor, as we all know. They've got their their banners and their signs and their tweets and everything under the sun, basically imploring for him to go, but he's still there. Uh, look, I mean, the Dragons could be anything, couldn't they? I mean, they've got. It's not that they don't have the talent. They just sort of. You could say that they're pro- they're probably one of the most consist- inconsistent sides in the competition. They just can't seem to when they need it when they need a win. They just they they just fall short. Sort of when they put under the pump, they kind of, they, they sort of falter. But I mean, any roster that has guys like you know Corey Norman, Ben Hunt, Paul Vaughan, Cam McInnes, who is you know probably now up there as a, an elite hooker in the game, what do the Dragons need to do to to be a success this year, Tom? Yeah, I think it's probably a situation where it's not as dire as uh, what people like to think. I mean, they probably should have beaten the Tigers in that first week, as I said earlier. And then they almost got the better of Penrith in what was really a game of two halves, where they were blown away in the first few minutes, but then came home really strong and almost stole the game. I think it comes down to their forward pack. Um, I think that they've got, they're in a similar boat to a team like the Roosters, where if they can really get that go forward and give the backs a platform to run off, I think that'll be really important. Uh, guys like your Matt Dufty, Zach Lomax, Corey Norman, Ben Hunt, they all love to run the ball. But if Paul Vaughan, Tyson Frizzell aren't giving that go forward, then they've got nothing to run off. Well, yeah, exactly. Jack DeBellin is his, you know, is his ongoing court case that just seems to never, you know, be never ending. I mean, if it gets to the end of this season, there's still nothing. That's two full years out of the game for him. So that's certainly been quite a long road for him. It's as you say, the Dragons, you know, they rely so much on their forwards to get them that momentum that obviously when they're not firing, it makes it harder. I mean, it would make it hard for any halves to perform if your if your forwards aren't performing. But yeah, the Dragons just seem to dig themselves these big holes as we saw against Penrith. You know, they they were it was it was a shambles in that first that first half. That first 15 minutes, they just—you almost thought it was going to be a, you know, a 15-nil scoreline. But they dug, credit to them, they dug deep and, you know, made a contest out of in the in the second half. I think a guy for me that probably is due for a big season, and he certainly—I think Dragons fans have noticed that he started the year quite well—is Michaeli Revalawa. Obviously, we know there's now a lot of expectation on on your Fijian wingers with the emergence of of Sammy Radradra, Suliasu Vanivalu. So people sort of look at Revalawa and think, oh, he has to be like that. Obviously, no one player is the same. But Dragons fans in 2019 were sort of criticising him a lot, but they seem to have turned the corner in terms of their perception of him in, in 2020. And, you know, like your Tupos or your Blake Ferguson from the Eels, these guys can certainly, they know how to how to leap and fly. So it will be interesting to see how the Dragons kicking game in terms of their attacking style can benefit Ravalawa in the air, given that there is that new rule in place that you can't tackle the attacking play going for the ball. So they certainly have a lot a lot to offer. It's just whether they can be consistent and not sort of have a, a tale of two halves constantly like, like they did against Penrith. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Ravalawa scored that. That chip and chase try where he caught the well, really his first touch of the season, um, caught the ball and went the length against the Tigers. I was right in front of me down at Wing Stadium. Um, so yeah, 100%. But I think, yeah, uh, another guy that started the season really well was Tyrell Fumayono, uh, coming down from Penrith and South Sydney over the last few years. He won't start this week, but he's made almost 50 tackles on the edge over the past two weeks as well as coming off the bench in round one. He's averaging 125 running metres and he looked really dangerous on that right edge against Penrith. So I think he's really one to watch. If he can get that offload out, um, that'll really free up the likes of Matt Dufty to really run the tackle. I mean, after Anzac Day last year, we know what he can do in some open field. Yeah, look, Tyrrell's a funny one. I mean, he is obviously came through the eel system, and he was, he was ability-wise, he was cream of the crop. Like you really couldn't you really couldn't find a a more talented player in terms of ability than than him. But he just was one of those was one of those players. And I mean, they say it all the time, oh, they got great great ability, but the attitude is not great. Tyrrell fell into that boat. He just for some reason he just couldn't he couldn't motivate himself to play constantly and play at the level that he could have. And that's obviously what made Brad Arthur tell him, "We'll see you later, mate. You're not you know you're not a part of our system." But it is good to see see him performing well for the Dragons. I mean, obviously, you, I guess there's always a part of you that thinks, oh, you know, what could have been if he stayed? But at the same time, we, you know, when, when a player moves on that you become become accustomed to it at your own club, you always want to see them do well where, wherever it is that they go. So it's good to see him at least, I guess, showing more maturity now that he maybe didn't during his, his stints at, 
at the who sit at the Eels essentially. So it's always an encouraging thing. And I mean, as you say, he probably will start off the bench, but it's a good he's a good impact back rower to have at your disposal. Yeah, yeah definitely. All right, we'll move on to the final preview, and that's going to be the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Now, look, they certainly haven't haven't uh, been shy in terms of the off-field incidents this year. We know, obviously, Latrell Mitchell and the whole social distancing cycle. There's been, you know, concerns about is, is fullback his position, is centre his position, is he at the right weight to play either? And then, obviously, Cody Walker with this video that emerged of him kung fu kicking whoever it was. Obviously, neither are good looks for the game. Cody Walker won't play in the first couple of rounds as we return. So a lot is on Adam Reynolds' shoulders. Latron Mitchell for you, Tom, fullback or centre? And how does Cody Walker's absence affect the south side? Yeah, centre. Uh, and I think that's also not necessarily just a knock on Latron's ability at centre, but I think it's a credit to Alex Johnson's ability at fullback. I think that with him at fullback and that extra pace at the back, you put Latron in the centres alongside a guy like Dane Gagai. Yeah, we've seen over the years what Gagai can do outside the likes of Inglis. As for Cody Walker... I think he could be a real beneficiary of Latrell's game in the centre. If he's making breaks, Cody Walker can win up on the inside. An extra player to uh, draw an extra bit of attention to. Cody Walker can go show and go all play out the back to Latrell. I think that'd be a really great combination. Look, I do have some concerns for the Bunnies. They're too good at a side to miss the finals, I think. They've got plenty of strike. The loss of Sam Burgess is going to be larger than most people think. I think that extra go forward is so crucial for guys like Damian Cook, Cam Murray, Cody Walker. So they really need to look for some of their younger forwards to pick up the slack. Um, William Knight obviously has a lot of wraps on him. It has a lot of controversy surrounding him early in his career. But now's the time to deliver for him, because without him, Tom Burgess, the impact of guys like Cook and Walker will be minimal. Yeah, well, it will be interesting, interesting to see how that new six again rule does affect South. Obviously, I guess it's all connected in terms of Cam Murray's move into the back row rather than at lock. Now, obviously, we know that Cam Murray certainly wasn't afraid to just cut the ball up in the middle, get that quick play of the ball, and means that Damian Cook could get that momentum going forward to whether it was the runs or a quick pass, and Souths get their momentum. That sort of that sort of style of play has been shunted a bit in, because Murray's moved to the back row where you don't have, I guess, the freedom or the luxury in terms of space to really execute your game plan. So it will be interesting to see if at some point Souths do revert back to having Cam Murray at lock where they can try and rekindle that sort of fast play from, from dummy half and to play the ball. Yeah, he's a walk for mine, Cam Murray. I think that yeah, we saw it so many times throughout the last few years, that nice little combination of Cook to Murray straight down the middle under the post. It's a proven formula. It's worked. So I don't know why you go changing it now. But yeah, Wayne Bennett's at the helm. Been around the track many times before and I'm sure he knows what he's doing. Yeah, well, that's it, I guess. You know, he knows more than we do, doesn't he? All right, well, that wraps up our season previews then. Obviously, that's all 16 teams, and certainly all teams have all teams have a lot going for them, but also a lot that's not going for them. So it will be an interesting remainder of the season as we are now just one day away from what has seemed like an eternity with our football. So we'll move on to previewing the, the games ahead. You know, obviously, we start tomorrow with the Broncos and the Eels. Certainly, the Broncos want to avoid that 58-0 scoreline from the finals last season where they were just completely obliterated by by the Eels in every single way. We know they've got no David Fafita, but they still boast a pack with the likes of Payne Haas, Tom Flegler, Patrick Carrigan. Obviously, Jermaine Isaka has looked pretty relatively good at fullback to start the year compared to a not-so-good previous run at fullback. Then you look at the Eels side, and obviously they've got talent across the park. Ferguson, Moses, Dylan Brown's obviously emerging. We know that Marat and Neocore will start at lock because Nathan Brown is suspended. How do you see this one going, Tom? Is it going to be closer than that finals game from last season? Oh, yeah, I have no doubt. I think probably for mine, the Broncos just have the edge, uh, but there's really not a lot in it. Could go either way. Uh, a lot of it will come down to the halves, I think. I think the packs match up nicely. I think the loss of Nathan Brown's a big one for the Eels, and then equally the inclusion of Offa Hengawi. It looks like Matt Watch will take place in the bench for the Broncos. Um, Alex Glenn said today that he's good to go. So I think it's interesting the Broncos have gone for a four-forward bench when they've got guys like um, Xavier Coates and Corey Page sitting in their reserves. But I guess that's a ploy to battle the Eels 
forward pack. But yeah, for mine, uh, I think Milford, if he plays at his best, they'll get the job done. Yeah, look, it's certainly an interesting one. I mean, obviously, as an Eels fan, I want I want the Eels to win. But, yeah, I'm certainly not expecting a repeat of, la- of that finals match from last season either. I mean, I think the key for the Eels, not just in this Broncos game, but even just in, in general in the season, is obviously their forward pack is it's probably not as big as other teams, but their advantage their advantage is probably that it might be a touch more mobile across across the, the forward pack. So if they can sort of utilise their combinations on the left and right, obviously, if you go right, you have Moses, Madison, Ferguson... Then if you go left, you've got Dylan Brown, Sean Lane, and Mike Acevo. So, you know, we've, we've seen both both back rowers and both wingers on either side certainly perform at a high level in the past. So I think for the Eels, it's just a key of if they can sort of get those combinations going and, and try not to just bash it up the middle against a bigger Broncos forward pack, that gives them their best chance to win. Yeah, 100%. I think it's going to be a good one. Well, Friday night, oh, yes, the Queensland Derby. So we've got the North Queensland Cowboys and the Gold Coast Titans. So, look, we know that the Cowboys are without Michael Morgan, so they're obviously running with... Scott Drinkwater and Jake Clifford in the halves. Obviously, I guess quite an inexperienced combination overall. We know that Val Holmes is our fullback. He's sort of had a bit of a, not a bad start, but probably a, a average sort of start to his return to the game. There's also no Gavin Cooper for the Cowboys. And if we look at the Titans, I mean, Justin Holbrook has rung the changes through. I mean, we have Tyrone Roberts playing a fullback. Jamal Fogarty makes his NRL return for the for the Titans alongside Ash Taylor, who has been moved into that 5 role and with Holbrook's own words to try and, I guess, take a bit of pressure off him given he hasn't, set the world on fire the last few seasons. I mean, and they've, you know, the Titans forward pack is sort of just, it is what it is. Keegan Hitgrave comes back. We know Kevin Proctor is there. Jai Arrow is obviously one of the top locks in the game. Is this going to be a game that the Cowboys run away with or, or can the Titans apply a bit of pressure and, and keep it close, Tom? Look, I think they can definitely keep it close, but I can't really see them getting the job done over the Cowboys. I think guys like Tamuolo, uh, Holmes, Masters, just too much class for mine. I think that that uh, Titans right side defence just got uh, obliterated against uh, Parramatta, and I think the Cowboys will just have too much strike power down there for them. Yeah, I am interested, interested to see Masters. I mean, obviously, we know that he came, he came from your mob to join the Cowboys this year, sort of, I don't know, I think, I guess last year, I don't know if he was told to keep the offload away or sort of just told to not be as, not not, not as productive, but just maybe the, the way he was playing wasn't really something that Maguire was too keen on. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of philosophy Paul Green adopts with him, because we know that Masters... He can certainly make that half break and make some space with the offload. So he's probably a guy at the Cowboys, I think, not just against the Titans, but in general can can have a pretty good season. Yeah, 100%. I think you nailed it there. The offload's the key for mine. Um, it always was at the Tigers. When he was offloading, he was playing at his best. Um, I think also you'll find in this one, uh, look out for Scott Drinkwater with no Morgan. I think running the chip, he could be in for a really big game. Yeah, I mean, well, we know he, he came through the Storm system. So obviously most halves at that come through there certainly go on to excel. So it will be interesting to see how he handles playing 5-8 when most probably see him as a fullback, but he has the ability, so there's no reason why he can't perform. And I guess it, it would really be anything it would really be difficult to see anything other than the Cowboys win, but the Titans will certainly at least, you know, make it respectable rather than have a blowout. Well, the second game on Friday, we've got two of the oldest rivals in the game, obviously the Roosters and the Bunnies. They've both got their respective issues in terms of players not being there, players suspended, as we touched on earlier. Orbison and Taukayaha are both out for the Roosters, which I guess in, in, in many ways both are a blow to some extent for the Roosters' side. Obviously, you miss ta- the Roosters will miss Taukayaha's just, I guess, sheer presence through the middle, and they'll miss that that defensive you know, staunchness on the edge with with Orbison and just the ability to run run a good hole. The Roosters are without Cody Walker, who's suspended, and obviously you know the whole Cam Murray to back row experiment doesn't seem to be working. Will they change it? Won't they? What are, you, what are you expecting in this one, Tom? Can, are the Roosters going to bounce back, or or will the Bunnies be too strong? Yeah, I expect the Roosters 
bounce back. But again, we've written off South Sydney against the Roosters in the past, and it's you know it's come back to bite the Roosters. I think that uh, there's just too much going on at South in terms of missing players. Obviously, Troy Dargan comes in to replace Cody Walker, so you're with a new pass. James Roberts is obviously in the extended squad, but he's expected not to play. Um, they've gone with a similar strategy to the Broncos, actually, with four forwards on the bench. Um, obviously, Cook doesn't need that bench hooker, but it probably then sees Luttrell and uh, Alex Johnson swap mid-game, depending on Luttrell's fitness, um, how he comes back after this period. Again, the Roosters missing some key players as well, but I just think the loss of Cody Walker's art to take South out of this one. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, you know, we certainly we saw what Cody Walker could do, particularly in the fir- those first 12 to 15 rounds last season. I mean, it was just just electric, especially in, in the attacking half. So you take him out. We know that Troy Dargan is there, obviously. Again, another another previous kid at the Eels that didn't that didn't play, but sort of you know a lot of Eels fans found him even at the, even at New South Wales Cup level to be, be a bit inconsistent. But again, this, we're talking well, he was at the Broncos in their in their system for a bit, so we're talking you know, two, three, three and a half years ago. So maturity can do a lot to a player. So again, like I said, with, with uh, Phil Moano, it will be interesting to see how Dargan goes and whether he can make that step up to first grade and at least support Reynolds a little bit rather than letting Reynolds do it all on his own. But yeah, the Roosters probably probably in a close one. That's it, almost match of the round, you would imagine. Yeah, 100%. More on our Super Saturday at Central Coast Stadium. We've got the Warriors and the Dragons. Obviously, you know, both teams have concerns. Obviously, we know the Warriors... Their forward pack has been decimated by injury. Tavanga's injury wasn't as bad as expected, but there's no, there's no Armel, you know, there's no, no Bunty Afoa. All those, those guys are just going to give them their go forward. They've got a couple of other guys missing as well, Adam Pompey, um, and just I guess a side that I guess really don't know what to expect from them. I mean, obviously, many have them not making the eight, which is fair enough given their situation and you know the trajectory that their COVID field preseason has had. But are they, I think we mentioned it when we covered their preview too, you can see the Warriors being a team that's going to be a thorn in everyone's side over the course of the season, can't you? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a really interesting match because it's almost, if you look at the team lists, they're two teams that are trending in opposite directions for mine. I think the Dragons uh, a couple of big ins with Cam McInnes, Tarek Sims, Corbin Sims, and Makari Ravalawa, uh, as you were saying, Ricky earlier. Um, that's a Zach Lomax into the centres and three men onto the bench. Whereas for the Warriors, just all those changes, you guys like, um, for the uh Adam Kieran, Harris DeVito, all out. Um, but I think the Warriors, obviously, we've seen it in the past as teams enjoy turmoil. They come back, they fire up. And I think that this could be really a great matchup this week, even if, you know, probably doesn't appear like it. But I think this could be one of the most entertaining games. 100%. I mean, we know, we know the Warriors certainly, you know, like their defence probably isn't great, but they're certainly, you know, if they've got to score points, they can score points. And when you have a, a guy at the back like Tui Vasashek who can change the game in an instant as well that's that's always a big bonus but i mean this is, this is a, a difficult one i guess in many ways to pick obviously you know even though the warriors do have those injuries that they're, they're probably there's enough class there but obviously is it enough class we'll find out then you look at the dragons and just their inconsistencies but this covid break has helped them. i mean as you said tom you know they get back to sims brothers cam mckinnis who especially last year i mean if there there probably wasn't i guess maybe apart from cook and smith to a lesser extent there really wasn't a hooker that sort of took control of, of a team like McInnes did. So obviously he was given the captaincy this year as well, based on how how well he led that side and how easily he can play the 80 minutes. So it, it'll be an, it'll, it'll be quite a close contest. I mean, you know, probably it'll probably be the Dragons just, but at the same time I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors somehow got the job done. Yeah, definitely an unpredictable game this one, and I think um, could be one of the shock, shocks of the round if, if the 
Warriors can get up despite all that they've gone through the last few months. And, you know, there's no doubt they're pretty much everyone's second team now. Well, that's it. I mean, yeah, I mean, the some of the sacrifices that they've made has certainly certainly kind of been easy. I mean, you know, everyone says it should be because of what people in in the army and et cetera do. But, you know, it, it, it's a very different situation in sport where you're, especially in, in rugby league, where you're not used to being away from family for so long. So they, they certainly should be commended for that. And, yeah, as you said, you know, they're everyone's second favourite team just because of the the selfless actions that, that, that they've done to keep this season alive. So our second game on Super Saturday has... has has your mob 5:30 is the Sharks and the Tigers at Bank West. Now, obviously, you know we spoke about the Tigers literally not too long ago. I mean, I, I think it's hard to say anything but a Tigers win against the Sharks. I mean, it certainly won't be a blowout, but I just think the Sharks, you know, all the obviously we know we're going to mention it in more depth later, but the whole Bronson Cherry saga, you know, there's sort of a bit of uncertainty about their forward pack as well in terms, you know, Nikora is only just coming back as well. Wade Graham now probably shapes as the key man in their forwards. Fafita's probably not hasn't been at his best in the last 12 to 18 months. And even even their back line as well, obviously with the, losing one of the Morris boys who's now at the Roosters, who certainly certainly will affect them a fair bit. Do you have do you have the belief in your mob that you'll beat the Sharks this weekend, Tom? Yeah, really not sure on this one. I put it in the same boat as the last game in terms of just not being able to predict it. I was really on the Sharks before the Cherry scandal. Now I'm not too sure. I think it really depends on how the Sharks come out. As said with the Warriors, we've seen in the past when teams you know, lose a coach or go through an extended period of turmoil, they can come out really strong, bond together, and really put a great performance in for the club, or they can go the opposite way and just absolutely fall apart. So I'd probably see it being a close affair still, but look, the Tigers are going to try and put a lot of points on, and it's going to be up to the Sharks and the likes of Sean Johnson and someone like Sione Katoa could be really someone to watch this weekend because they're going to have to match it. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, this is a big year for Sean Johnson, isn't it? I mean, he's he sort of... By his own admission, he probably wasn't at full strength last season, sort of just those niggling injuries and obviously affected his his running game, which, as we all know, is is his greatest asset in more ways than one. So it will be interesting to see how they come out, whether the Cherry Saga does affect them or whether they're able to put it aside. But it, it, as you said, it, it will be a very good game. And it, it's just it's a game that's just, just hard to predict because you just don't know what Shark side is going to show up given the adversity that, that has happened a day out from the start of the season. Yeah, and obviously, I think... The Sharks are all worse off without uh, with without uh, Cherry. I think that you know this game could be a little bit like a gunfight, and you know the Sharks have lost one of their biggest weapons out wide, um, so that could be the difference in the end. Yeah, I mean, you know, time will tell. So we'll, we'll move on to the 7:35 game, the final game of Super Saturday. So we have the Storm and the Raiders out at Amy Park. I mean, look, we said it when we did the preview. You pretty much say it every week before every Storm game. Everyone does when it. When, when is it going to be the year when the Storm falter? Will there ever be a year that they falter? And yet here they are every every single season seemingly finishing top four. I mean, th- their side hasn't changed too much from last year. Mind you, neither is the Raiders. We know they made the grand final in 2019. Is this, I mean, th- and traditionally these two sides have had quite good contests in the past. Are we expecting another sort of defensive slobber knocker in this one, Tom? Yeah, 100% from mine. I think that um, both sides are really set up for that nicely this week. They can't be going 1-17. to um, from their round two side is really interesting. Obviously, Jordan Rapana now at the club, but he'll take that 18 jersey. Um, and I think that's a sign from Ricky Stewart that this is going to be a real grinding affair. And uh, I don't think we'll see a lot of points in it, but I think it'll be a really high-quality match. Um, obviously, John Bateman out uh, is a big loss for the Raiders. Obviously, read into that what you will. Uh, obviously, most likely just Ricky Stewart taking some extra precaution on his return from injury, but we're seeing plenty of controversy about his contract side. But really much of the same from Melbourne. And I think that, yeah, it's going to be a great match. I've probably got Melbourne in a tight one. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, there's those sort of defensive grinding games of the games that Melbourne has essentially prided themselves on for the 
what the better half of the last eight to ten years or under Bellamy pretty much they're just nine times out of ten they just find a way to win so certainly it'd be very surprising to see a, a big scoreline here you know you're probably anything around your 10-6 8-4 sort of mark is probably on the money but again you never know this is rugby league but even based on previous games that these two sides have had as you said they certainly it's all about defense so it'd be hard to really expect anything different well, first game on Sunday, you've got Panthers and the Knights down at Campbelltown Stadium. Obviously, we know the Knights have no Kalen Ponga just for the one week with his suspension. So we have Tex Hoy coming in, probably one of the great modern names in rugby league. Sounds like a, you know, one of those old Western Cowboys. Um, but, I mean, good names in rugby league are hard to find, so it's always always refreshing. But, yeah, so the Knights are aside. Look, they are they are 2-0. and Obviously, Adam, Bryan, Adam, Adam O'Brien has come from the Storm system. He was there with Bellamy for a little bit as working as an assistant. So he knows he sort of knows how to get the best out of his plays based on what he's learned from Bellamy. We know that there's no Mitchell Barnett for the for the Knights as well. So we have Sione Matauti, a starting back row, who he was injured, but obviously is now fit enough to come back. Obviously the Penrith with no Nathan Cleary. So we have Matt Burton coming in and Jerome Luai. We've spoken in the past about Luai. It's a chance for him to step up and really control that side, you know, make the side his own. How do you see this one going, Tom? Do the Knights struggle without Ponga, or can they still make an impact with the likes of Tawala and Shibasaki in the centres and and with their forward pack as well? Yes, yeah, super hard to split these two teams. I think it's difficult to split them if they had Cleary and Ponga there, and then you take out both their best players, and instantly you know you've got two sides with good, experienced packs, relatively young backlines. For me, Penrith's backline probably just has that edge just with their experience, guys like Josh Mansour in there. Um, I think that he'll he had a really good first two weeks. Um, they'll be looking as well to guys like Stephen Crichton off the bench to give that little bit of X factor, and that could be the difference in this one. I think it would be pretty tight overall, though. Yes, yeah, so it's certainly a tough one to pick. I mean, yeah, but the best players for both sides are out, and that obviously doesn't make it any easier, if even if they were playing. So, I mean, I think for me, I mean, probably go the Knights, but only just. I mean, I think not having Ponga, but having Mitchell Pearce in your side, certainly, you know, we know the season that he had last year. Obviously, he looms as the Knights key man, aside from Ponga, over the course of the season. And then I think as well, probably a guy that I'm not going to get overlooked, but I think his impact can go a bit unnoticed is David Clemmer. Sort of, he's just just the brute in the middle of the field, and obviously, it will be interesting to see the sort of battles that he has with you know the likes of James Fisher, Harris, Isaiah Yo going through the middle because we know that they don't shy away from a from a contest either. So it'll definitely definitely be one in the forwards. It's just a question of which side can get over the advantage line and make it easier for for their halves to crack the game wide open. I'll be really looking to uh, Billy Army kick out here for that exact reason. I think that him and then on the opposite side, Lockie Fitzgibbon, uh, they'll both really need to step up their teams in the absence of their key playmakers. Yeah, that should, that should be quite a good battle on the edge, that's for sure. So final game of the round, we have the Sea Eagles and the Bulldogs. You know, obviously we know that the Bulldogs weren't, weren't shy from off-season scandal either. They had arguably their best back rower in Harawira Naira and winger Jaden Ockenbore, essentially terminated by the NRL for, for their actions with the, with the schoolgirls. Manly certainly haven't been shy from... A bit of season controversy too, obviously no players suspended, but we had, we know that Dylan Walker and Adam Fanua Blake in particular and the whole anti-vax situation, but obviously they've been named to play. I mean, this this will be an interesting one. I mean, we know that the Bulldogs, they probably don't have the points in them, but they do know how to grind and grind and grind, as we saw in, in round one against the Eels. You would think that Manly probably have just too much class when you look at Tommy Turbo, Daddy Cherry Evans, Jake Trebojevic, even guys like Walker, and probably when you look at a prop rotation of Tapao, Fanua Blake, even Corey Waddell to a lesser extent. And then you look at the Dogs pack, who surprisingly left out Aiden Tolman, who's probably been one of their most consistent forwards for the better half of five to six seasons. 
obviously no Kieran Foran, and surprisingly no Brandon Wakeham for the Bulldogs, who he didn't look too bad in, in so far this season when he's played. Picking Jack Cogger over Wakeham, is that an interesting one to you, Tom? And do the Bulldogs have to just come out and defend and defend and defend, or can they get some points on Manly to put the pressure on? Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed it there. I, think, I was a little bit surprised to see Cogger over Wakeham. I wonder if they're almost just trying to set up the team for when Foran comes back. Obviously, Jack Cogger, um, more of a, a passing halfback or 5'8", and you know, Wakeham probably takes more of an attacking running role. Uh, whereas Foran is much more run to the line and pass, so I think he's probably some more similar style to Cogger. We might see this one stay close for the majority of the first half, but then I think you're right. I think Manly just have too much class. Cherry Evans, the Trevojevic brothers, no big changes for Manly. As you said, with Corey Waddell and Tanya Oseka coming onto the bench, I think that definitely strengthens what was a very young interchange rotation in the first few weeks. But yeah, I've got Manly well over the top of the Bulldogs in this one. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say anything else. I mean, they're certainly taking nothing away from the heart and sort of resolve that the Bulldogs do show. But yeah, I mean, you can... There's really only so much that you can do in games if you're relying on your defence to, to win. If you can't score points, you're probably not going to win too many games, unfortunately. Yeah, 100%. I think that you know, we might see one really blow out in the second half. And I, I think you'll be looking at the guys like Tom Trevojevic, Ruben Garrick, Dylan Walker. They could be in for really big games, personally, and for any of the super coach players out there as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, certainly there's a lot, a lot of big super coach players that have a lot to prove. So it'll be interesting to see across across the round how they go. Well, that's all the games for round three. Certainly, a lot of, lot of some mouthwatering, some hard to pick. But as as we've been saying, the football's back, so there can be a score of two 0 and I don't think too many of us are going to really mind. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you can put up the two worst teams in the comp against each other, and I think you've still almost had a record audience for for all the television networks this weekend. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised there. So we'll just move on to two small bits of news. So we've got, I, I thought an interesting one that probably didn't get too much traction from the commercial media side is. There was a tweet from a, a journalist based up in Dubbo that they're keen to host an NRL game. A lot of people say, let's get footy to the bush. The bush is where it's at. There's not enough games or presence there. Are you are you for take, Are you all for taking a game up to Dubbo at some point, Tom? Yeah, obviously, I understand the appeal. Um, just got to look at the financials um, of it all. I think, obviously, it's quite difficult for this season for all the logistical reasons that we're well aware of with COVID-19. But I think taking games to the bush is definitely important for the league's development. Uh, we've seen teams like uh, Grand Western Sydney and the AFL really push their development programs in regional New South Wales, taking home games down to Canberra. So I think we really need to be ready to combat that threat from the AFL. Um, when he's back on in the future, I'll be really interested to hear what Zach thinks about this because I know he's really keen on um, Bush footy and has some really strong thoughts about how the NRL should approach its regional program. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I think the tweet said that the aim was within the next three years. So yeah, obviously, that probably out of the question this season, given, given the whole whole pandemic and still, you know, borders not being open and sort of still still restrictions being placed on certain certain travel elements but yeah i mean I, I actually wouldn't mind personally seeing at least the sydney teams probably picking some sort of country base i mean we know the eels have darwin even though that's not country per se but they've certainly made that their home yeah we know the that, tigers we, have tamworth as well yeah exactly the tigers have tamworth the panthers have bathurst so i think it's just it's just a good way to sort of you know get those country fans involved as well seeing as they probably only get out to two or three games tops a season if that so it's just a nice way to you know let them know that they're certainly not being forgotten and yeah it's a chance to see some of their even if it's not their team you know we, we know that that doesn't really play a role in terms of crowds going to watch as we've seen for games in perth but it's just a good way to you know get the get those country fans in and and let them know that they're certainly not being forgotten yeah i think as much as bringing the country to the game i think as well as bringing the game to the country obviously um, as well as things like school visits um and you know meet and greets i think that the tourism that nrl can bring to some of these areas we can really hit hard by drought and bushfires also over the summer so i think it's a really great thing if we can get out to the bush and really help some of these struggling communities um, through what is what has been a really difficult time for them. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, certainly we're certainly not shy of country players. I mean, you know, we know that quite a few have been impacted personally by what's happened. Adam Elliott, even Kezi Apps in, from the, the Dragons in, in, in the women's competition. So it's certainly, as, as we said, not, not right now, but within the next few years, yeah, you know, go back, get back to the communities, get raise the awareness, if, you, you know, do the fundraisers just to help anything that can help those communities get back on their feet that just love the game so much. So we're going to move on to perhaps an unexpected news that came out. It's certainly, whether it spells the end of his career, we don't know. Bronson Cherry tested positive to five banned substances. I mean, it's bad enough testing to one, let alone five. I think the early indications from Asada, presuming his B test is also found to be positive, he faces a, f- a four-year ban, at least based on what I've read so far. Who knows if that may change from the NRL if they decide to come down harder than that. Have we have we seen the last of Bronson Cherry, do you think, Tom, and sort of how, how much will this affect the NRL moving forward, given that we didn't need this particularly in light of off-field incidents that have already happened and also ones in the past involving drugs or perceived drugs. Disappointing for him, obviously, such a you know bright prospect. And I think it won't be the last we see them. I think we've got to also remember that he's only 19. So even with a four-year ban, obviously, it's quite difficult to keep up training and things like that while you're out. But he'll come back 23 years old, still be in the prime of his career. On a club level, it's disappointing on a number of fronts. Obviously, the first one is the fact that the Sharks have just shipped off Josh Morris. Uh, so there goes a quality centre that could have taken his place. Uh, we'll see Josh Dugan wind up in the centres this weekend, but we know his body can be a little bit fragile at times, so fingers crossed for him, he can hold up. There's been a lot of criticism of the Sharks, obviously after the Asada scandal uh, earlier in the decade or last decade. For me, I can't subscribe to the theory that the club still has a drug problem. I think we had on Nine News tonight, John Morris and Wade Graham, and they were saying that 95% of the players have gone, the staff have all changed from that era, so I can't buy that. For me, it just comes down to a silly personal error of judgment. Obviously, we'll have to wait for the B samples, as you said, but it's disappointing if true. And then for the league, you know, it's just what we didn't need three days out from the season. But at the same time, I think that the story the story hasn't grown to what it could have if everyone wasn't so excited for what's to come later this week. And I think that that's a credit to Peter Volandis. And also, I think the forgotten man and all this, Todd Greenberg, earlier on in the Project Apollo, Wayne Pierce, those guys have got this game back up and running to an extent that really it's almost at the point as this scandal has been overshadowed by the excitement of the fact that we're only one day away from some more footy. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it's, you know, they've, they've done a great job to get the game back, seeing as, as we touched on earlier, as, as, as everyone's been touching on, where at one point, yeah, it just didn't look like there was going to be any sport, at least, or oh, probably until next year even. So, you know, they've, they've, they've certainly done well to keep up their biosecurity measures, to keep tabs on, you know, sort of the pandemic and, and the climate that all in at the moment. So to get the game back up and running, it's certainly a good effort. Yeah, I think for me, a couple of points that I found interesting is we know that Bronson Cherry has been doing some sprint training with uh, Roger Fabry, who is regarded as one of the best sort of sprint coaches out there. It was interesting that while he was at the Roosters, I think in around 2010 or so, or even a bit later, I think he was done for, he had a couple of years suspension because of some involvement. I don't know if it was his personal involvement with drugs or or was, was some sort of systemic thing that a couple of them took a fall for. And then I found interesting as well a tweet by the Mole who, you know, people, like any journal, anything can be inconsistent. But he seems to think that Cherry may not be the only one involved in all of this. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of effect that has and whether it was just an isolated player or if there's more involved in potentially some sort of, I, don't, I guess, systemic sort of drug culture among a, a ser- said several players in, in the game. Yeah, 100%. I think let's keep our fingers crossed. There's just an isolated incident um, and the rumours of other players being involved just aren't true. All right, so to finish up on the pod this week, we're lucky enough to have... Tim Williams with us too, as some of you may know, if or if you don't know, is the main owner of SC Playbook, which is one of the websites, Twitter pages, Facebook pages, you name it, that 
you know, is out there to provide as much super coach information as possible, whether it's about your break-evens, your players to watch, your no-go, no-go zone players, you name it. They've got they've got it covered. So welcome, Tim. Thanks for your time. No, thanks for having me, boys. Good to be on here and uh, give back. You boys have given me and your your site have given me plenty of support early on with SC Playbook. So happy to give a little bit back. No, no worries. We're going to appreciate it. So we'll get stuck right in. Obviously, you know, super coach is such a big thing to so many people, and it's very it's turned into quite a competitive sort of fantasy league for well across Australia and New Zealand mainly. We'll just go straight into sort of. You know, guys that you, you must have in your team. Obviously, we know Payne Haas, Jason Taumalolo, James Tedesco. You know, these guys are the absolute must-haves. What's a, what are some must-haves that, prob- that aren't as well recognised as those guys, Tim, in your view? Yeah, I mean, you, you've nailed the most of them, and it's a little bit hard because guys like James Tedesco, obviously, off the season that he had last year's, so expensive. He's got got a really high break even, so he's set to lose a fair bit of money. So he's a guy that you can probably avoid at the moment um, at his price if you're looking at sort of cash generation, that sort of thing. Um, guys like Appy Coruscant has had a massive start to the year. He, he's as close to a must-have as you can get. Um, unfortunately, Elisa Katoa, the Warriors back rower, got named on the bench this week, but I think he'll probably still play 50 or 60 minutes off the bench. He's at basement price. Um, looks like a bit of a machine there for the Warriors. So I, th- I think he's pretty close to it as a as a cheapie. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're probably a few, few of the main ones for me at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, Katoa certainly has impressed in the you know the, the opening couple of rounds, certainly. He and T- he and Tornella Brown are certainly certainly future stars of the Warriors pack and both are at basement dollars. So, obviously, they're the sort of guys that you want to jump on while they are at that price and hopefully they, they make the coin. Any, any must-haves for you, Tom? Yeah, I think you guys really nailed most of them down there. For me, I think big guy this week, Scotty, Scotty Drinkwater. Um, I'm really big on him. Uh, I think that against the Titans just could, you know, uh, absolutely run up a points bonanza there. Um, other than that, I was pretty happy to start with Nofaluma. I don't think an 84-point average is sustainable, but, you know, just having that solid base in the centre wings really helps. And that was a move I sort of made early just to shore up the centre wing and what is a really volatile position this year. Yeah, well, certainly, you know, certainly I think for me, obviously, Nofaluma is one to consider, but there's probably, you know, we, we know that last season wasn't his best. I think he had one try or something, and this is about Josh Mansour, but he seems to have, I guess, gotten back to that sort of mould where he seems to be breaking the tackles again and, and getting involved and, and certainly going back to that almost elite sort of super coach centre wing. And, of course, it's such a such a hard position, isn't it, in terms of finding guys that are going to score you those base points. Yeah, Joshy Mantor's a great call. He's a guy I'm looking re- really closely at. Um, and, I mean, you look at someone like Mantor, who has this this pedigree in Supercoach of being a great from the past, and uh, he's averaging, what, 74 or 5 points at the moment, and he hasn't scored a try at this season. He has a couple of tries this, but no tries to his name. And then you compare it to someone like Tony Staggs, who I think is pretty close to the most traded in play this week, and he scored four tries, and he's only averaging about 10 points more. So, um, you know, do you go with the more tried and tested of Josh Mantor, who's doing it, as you said, pretty much in base stats. Like, it's a pretty strong argument to go him over Stags. Well, that's it. I mean, that's that's, that's the beauty of Supercoach as well. Sort of, there's so, so, many, so many decisions to make, so many players to choose from, which makes it all the more harder. And hopefully, you know, you sort of have, a, have some sort of point of difference or player of difference to differentiate from somebody else. I will move on to 
players to avoid, Tim. So obviously, it, so- it sounds bad to the casual observer, players to avoid. But obviously, there are some players that, as good as they might be on the field, it just doesn't translate into into super coach or fantasy in general. What are some? Who are some players that sort of you just look at and think, as good as they can be, it's probably best to stay away. Yeah, it's a really tough one, um, and it's I'm probably looking more at the, the the guys with a bit of risk in them that are really popular purchases coming up to round three. So a, a guy like maybe Isaiah Yo, who's in that, who's one of the most traded in players this week. I think he's had fifteen thousand trades. I'm a little bit concerned. Kurt Capel's come back from injury at the Panthers, and he's starting in the back row. So they've got him, Viliami Kickout, James Fisher Harris. Um, and I'm just sort of working out where they fit all these minutes in and whether or not Yo keeps playing his 80 minutes. Um, I mean, look, he's got a, a negative break even. You, you can pick him at centre wing, which is why he's a good buy and he's pretty cheap. So certainly by no means a bad buy, but maybe there's a bit of risk there. Um, I mean, Katoni Staggs is the other one who is just going through the roof the first few rounds, but, you know, he could, he could pretty easily come to the back pack and um, score 30 or 40. So it's, yeah, a few there. How about on your end, Tim? Is there anyone sort of that you're, you, you know, you're looking at, but then, then, then thinking, oh, maybe then, maybe it's not such a great buy. Yo's one of them. Who initially I had in my team for round three, but I think I'm going to skip on him. Um, one guy that I'm really keen on, but I'm a little bit worried about is Alex Tawol, who <clears throat> played big minutes in round two, and his base stats were massive. I wasn't going to get him in, and then the teams came out yesterday, and the Tigers bench named. They've got two um, edge back rowers there, a middle forward, and uh, Billy Walters, who's sort of a utility hooker halfback. So uh, just the way it goes, I can't see Twelve not playing 65 minutes and being a pretty exceptional buy. But, you know, in the past, Twelve hasn't been, you know, a star super coach player, and you're paying almost 500 grand for him. So he's a little bit of a worry, but I think he's probably a guy that I'll bring into my team this week. At a similar price point, would you take Twal over the likes of Stags or Nasako? Um, it's hard because this early in the season, you know, it's pretty easy to get mid-range, you know, three, four hundred k forwards who can do a job for you and get 45, 50 points and earn some money and be pretty safe. You know, as you, you mentioned before, um, the volatile position is centre wings. And a lot of guys are running your Zach Lomaxes, your Kurt Mans, just to fill out your roster. And you have to play them in your 17s, and it's quite risky. So, you know, if you can slot in guys like um, Nofaluma, you mentioned before, um, a few of these more proven centre wings, it, you feel a lot better about it going into the weekend that this volatile position, you've got some pretty safe points there. So I'm pretty happy to lock in uh, a few more expensive players in the centre wing at the moment rather than, you know, Twoll or some of these forwards who are a bit more pricey. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, that's it's, it's just, as you were saying, it's just it's so difficult to sort of try and pinpoint exactly who you want and, and how they're going to perform and whether they can remain consistent. And that's the beauty of Supercoach. Obviously, this one's another one for you, Tim. You know, people talk about Anthony Milford. So he's sort of, he's very, he had, he's either really great or I guess very bad. With with Brody Crofts now at the Broncos and people thinking that he's a guy that is going to control the game more, open the game up more, I guess, for Milford to play his, his natural game in running, with, with the running game. Is Milford a risky option to start, or to, to restart the season, I should say? Look, he's definitely risky, but... 
you know, we've seen him averaging 65 to 70 points in the past when he's, he's been comfortable playing in the halves there. The big thing for me with Milford, and while I won't be getting on him until I see him produce a little bit more for a few more weeks consecutively, is just playing behind that Broncos forward pack, which is just like, it blows my mind how good it is. They've still got blokes like David Fafita to come back into it, um, Tavita Pangai Jr., they're going to have some serious talent in the forward pack playing reserve grade or out of the 17 because, you know, they're too stacked. So for someone like Milford to be playing behind this forward pack and all the Broncos' back line, there's no reason why they shouldn't just thrive this year. So you're right in saying that, yeah, Croft will help him out a lot, but I'm more looking at that forward pack and how good that'll be for Milford. How about you, Tom? Is Milford on your radar or, or, or is that uh, a no-go zone for you like it is for many? Well, I've been put in a bit of a tough position this week because I've both I had both Cleary and Walker, who are obviously both uh, cop cop bands over the last few weeks. But um, instead, I think I'll be looking to, as I said, drink water and also Dylan Brown. Um, obviously, I'd love to have Moses, but the money can't stretch everywhere. We didn't really get a great test of the Eels' uh, abilities over the last two weeks, only playing the Dogs and then the Titans. So it'd be really interesting to see how they go. But I think Brown's one I'm probably keen to take a punt on be interesting to see whether or not they sort of go down Moses' side more often or, you know, with obviously with that, that side of Matt, you know, Madison and Fergo or whether they go left with Sean Lane and and Mike Acevo, obviously, it doesn't matter which side you go. This seems like they're just oozing people that can score. Uh, so just we'll, we'll move on to one final area, Tim. Obviously, you mentioned Tedesco earlier and he's obviously quite high price given how, how good he went last year. We know that Ponga is obviously suspended just for the one round. What what sort of other fullbacks can people look at getting in? Is 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 Pappen, Pappenheisen, Holmes, <laughs> even Tommy Turbo? What sort of the feel there in terms of who can who can potentially perform better in terms of Supercoach? Yeah, look the the fullback position is absolutely stacked this year. It, it's so hard, and I'll start by saying that I think Tedesco and Tommy Chaboyevic will be the standout fullbacks come end of the season, and they're the two guys that you should be aiming to get. Um, they both have high break-evens after some subpar opening couple of rounds by their standards, so they're going to drop coin, but they're also the kind of guys that can you know can score 150 on any given week. Um, so I can see why people are keen to jump on a little bit earlier, especially now that we've got five trades to work with. But, I mean, I've got Caelan Ponger and Ryan Pappenhausen there, and I think Pappenhausen, he's at 508k, he looks so good at Melbourne and he's a guy that'll be over 600k in not too long. And he'll be, I'll be looking to move him on to Teddy or Turbo um, when they're bottoming out, hopefully in two or three weeks. Um, and there's a lot of people selling Caelan Ponga this week, which I don't really know why. I understand that he's missing a week. Um, he's coming back to games against the Raiders and the Storm, which is a big concern. But Look, he's averaging 82 over the first couple of weeks. He's looking really good. He's kicking goals full-time this year. Um, so I'm running with them too. But, yeah, I think you've got to be aiming in two or three weeks' time to be having Teddy and Turbo as your fullbacks. Yeah, 100%. I think I've got Turbo and Pap locked in at the moment, but I'll be definitely looking to upgrade Pap when uh, Teddy bottoms out in a few weeks' time. Yeah, nice. There's even people trading on David for feeder. I mean, we know he's, he's probably, I think it's round six or something when he's going to come back, but... Everyone is like, oh, but we can because you know have more more trades and you can get him back and it's it, it sort of you know obviously if he if you spend too much and then you don't have enough to get David Fafita back who is had he not been injured probably would have been almost a must have as well seeing as how well 
he performs on the edge. Does that surprise you, Tim, that there's sort of almost like panic trading, even though there's guys only out for, say, two, three weeks tops? Look, there's an enormous amount of panic trading going on, and I think Pong is the clear example of that. I think because we've got all these trades and because, I mean, for an overall player, there's no origin to deal with um, and buy weeks where you're trying to get as many people on the field as you can. It's not going to be that difficult to get a really strong 17 this season. Um, so I think you can afford to trade out someone like Fafida because he's gone for an extended period. Um, it doesn't sort of, I, I agree with that. The one that I'm tossing, toing and froing with is Nathan Cleary, who he's gone for only two weeks there. Um and there's, you know, he's about 630k. So there's so much money there that he's sitting on your bench for two weeks. So two weeks is, is a lot harder period than what I think for feeder is with sort of four or five weeks. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, and it's 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 just a balancing act and trying to find the right team. And as you said, no bias, no origins, so it certainly makes it easier. Any any sort of uh, sort of last little bit about what sort of what what people's expectations. For super coach should be, I guess, more from a head-to-head perspective, seeing as that's or sorry, overall perspective as sort of that seems to be what more people gravitate towards. Well, it, it's a really funny one this year. I think traditional years you really do separate the overall players and the head-to-head players, but the way they're separated is the overall players make up all this ground over the Origin period when they have a lot of players playing those bye weeks, and the head-to-head focus players might only have four or five players in their whole their whole squad that are actually playing. Because that's not there this year. It's pretty much just a one big head-to-head sort of thing. All the head-to-head players will be giving it a real crack for the, the top 100 and the top 1,000 rankings, where other years they never would have. Um, so, yeah, I think which I think is really exciting and it's very different. But um, And because we've got all these trades to work with, it's not going to be that hard getting teams. I think you can focus on... Um, easy fixtures coming up for players a little bit more than you would in the past. So like a player like, you know, Scott Drinkwater, who you might not want to have in your side for an extended period, you can get him in for these easy games coming up against the Titans and whoever else it is, maybe the Sharks, um, and then you can trade them out in two weeks' time without the risk of, you know, burning too many trades and running out of trades. All right, well, thanks very much for that, Tim. Obviously, as as we, as, as we said, you know, super coach is certainly a, a big thing for for rugby league fans and everything. So, thanks again for that sort of in, for, you know for that information. And as we said, for anyone that doesn't know, it's SC Playbook. Certainly, have a visit, go look around, click on the links, get all the info you need about anything and everything. Super Coach, and we do have a bit of um, a bit of uh, premium content going on as well. So it's thirty dollars for the NRL package and then I'll be doing or myself and the contributors will be doing uh, big bash content at the end of the year for big bash super coach as well. So that's $40, but um, yeah, basically the subscription gets you a few extra stories a week. Um, we'll make an effort to, to answer your questions and there's a few other little perks as well. So um, if you're interested in that, jump into it, but if not, there's plenty of free content to have a look at as well. All right, no worries. Too easy, Tim. Thanks for that. And as I said, we'll, we'll ho- hopefully, hopefully get you on a few more times in the future to talk all things super coach. Cheers, boys. Keen to be back. All right. Well, we certainly have a cracking eight games ahead of us this season. As we said, starting tomorrow with the Broncos and the Eels. So it's a lot to look forward to. Everyone can get excited again. Best of luck to your Tigers on the weekend against the Sharkies, Tom. Thank you. Same to your Eels. Yeah, so we'll see what happens and we'll catch everyone next week.